Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. About two years ago, Vice correspondent Hind Hassan and senior producer Adam Desiderio wanted to meet with one of Afghanistan's top leaders— Hamdallah Mohib, to ask why a case involving a massacre at a hospital maternity ward still hadn't been solved. There was an attack on a maternity ward. 25 people were killed, and that included mothers and pregnant women. By this time, Dr. Mohib had been the national security advisor for two years, and he was incredibly busy. We make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. Surrender is not an option. He was the second most powerful man in the country behind President Ashraf Ghani. And it was his job to protect the Afghan people from the Taliban. But then, a year later, on August 15th, 2021... We just learned that the presidential palace was officially handed over to the Taliban. The Taliban took over Kabul. Dr. Mohib and Afghanistan's president, Ashraf Ghani, fled. The Kabul airport is the only safe way out of Afghanistan. And today, there was nearly a run on it. The U.S. government put much of the blame on Afghanistan's leaders. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. This past August marks one year since the Taliban took over Afghanistan. And since then, a lot has changed. The economy has tanked. A humanitarian crisis has enveloped the country. Millions are starving. And the Taliban is, as expected, preventing girls from returning to school and women from returning to work. The Taliban stopped teenage girls from attending school, making Afghanistan the only country in the world to enforce such a policy. It's in our prophet's sayings, education is our right, but the Taliban has taken away this right. Since that day on August 15th, 2021, Dr. Mohib says he's haunted by what happened. For years, he'd had a unique perspective, a front row seat to the process of rebuilding a war-torn country. And then, in a matter of months, he watched it all fall apart. Now, he's a man without a country, a war refugee. And he told Vice Senior Producer Adam Desiderio he's ready to share his full story. Dr. Mohib, how should we refer to you um, for this uh, conversation? I mean, is it is it Dr. Mohib? Is it Hamdullah Mohib? Whatever sounds comfortable to you. When Dr. Hamdullah Mohib logs onto our video chat, he's casual in a gray T-shirt, glasses, and a beard. The former flag of Afghanistan stands on a desk behind him. You can call me Hamdullah. That would be absolutely fine. Okay. Great, great. Hamdullah is the former national security advisor of Afghanistan. We'd known each other for years. I remember when I first connected with him and his team in 2018. 
Hamdallah was a young guy at the time, early 30s, same age as me. But here he was, the man in charge of running Afghanistan's national security apparatus. Since the fall of the Afghan government, I've been back numerous times to cover the Taliban's takeover and how life has changed for Afghan people under the Taliban. But Hamdallah hasn't been back. He's currently in Abu Dhabi with his family. Um, This year had been the most difficult for me personally. Uh, I've always found him to be warm, approachable, and generous with his time. But he's also at heart a true politician, in the sense that when the cameras are rolling, he switches to talking points. I sense now that he was out of office, he'd be willing to open up about what happened in those days and weeks leading up to the country's collapse. But I had no idea how candid he'd end up being. How, how is your family? I mean, how are they dealing with, with being out of the country and not being able to go back? Uh, Adam, it's not easy. Um, you know, the, some of the most difficult questions I have to encounter are from my son. He has just turned six now. All he remembers is Kabul. He's still not over it. He still asks me questions like, why did we lose? You know, if the Taliban were smaller in number and there are more Afghan people, how come the Taliban won? What happened to our house? What happens to our home? Will we be able to go back? What happens to our family? Will we ever see them again? He asks about the president and his family and whether he will be able to go back. It's a difficult time for Hamdal and his family. They're unable to go back to their home, and they're not quite settled in their new place. This limbo is familiar to Hamdallah. He spent most of his childhood as a refugee. Shortly before he was born, the estimated 35 to 40,000 Soviet combat troops were said to be mounting heavy attacks on Muslim insurgents and elements of the Afghan army. The Soviets invaded Afghanistan. He and his family joined the millions of Afghan refugees who fled to Pakistan and elsewhere after the invasion. My family lived in, as refugees in Pakistan at the time in, in Quetta, where we were part of the resistance against the Soviet Union's occupation of Afghanistan. While in Pakistan, Hamdallah would dream of returning home to Afghanistan. But he and other refugees also considered another possibility, heading even further west. The word used was Kharij. Kharij was abroad. And abroad meant America or, or Europe. That's where people wanted to go. We as refugees, as humans, have no rights in Pakistan and in Afghanistan for that matter. But if you go abroad, even, even dogs have rights. Hamdul spent most of his childhood in this in-between state. When the Mujahideen won, there was celebration in our, in our household. Our community celebrated. My family, obviously very proud of being part of this resistance against an occupation, was excited to go back to Afghanistan. I remember my first trip to Afghanistan after the fall of the government. I may have been 12 or 13 at the time. We were going to my village uh, in Khujani, traveling on this dirt road. We stopped on the way at at this farmer's shop. He was selling carrots grown out of his farm and we bought them. I, I remember the taste of those carrots even today. They were the most delicious, sweetest carrots I had ever tasted. I don't know whether they really were that tasty, but uh, it's the feeling I had. They were mine. They were mine. They were from my home. They were grown. 
out of my my land i was not a refugee in this place i was at home the family bought a house in jalalabad city 3 hours east of kabul but before they could move there Rival rebel groups have surrounded Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. They have demanded the surrender of what remains of the government. The civil war broke out. The president of Afghanistan was forced out of power today. The fall of the Soviet-installed leader came as opposition rebel guerrillas closed in on the capital, Kabul. 60,000 people in Kabul died. as a result of the civil war between holy warriors and war all for what for power hospitals are having to cope without water and electricity there are no ambulances and few qualified staff and in the chaos the injured often go without medicine so when the taliban were merged there was a lot of propaganda around the taliban and i realized that they they're very good at that even then islamic rebels in afghanistan overthrew the government in kabul today they are said to control all key government installations and have instituted strict islamic rule around this time in the mid to late 90s the taliban were also forming their allegiance to al qaeda a terrorist group led by osama bin laden As the time passed um and that it became apparent that the Taliban were not what they were portraying themselves to be. Some of the Taliban's first actions were to ban women from offices and to urge ordinary men to grow beards as a sign of piety. Their brand of Islamic thought honed in Quran schools on the Pakistan border has worried even some devout Muslims. So people were taken by force to fight and my family was worried that something like that might also happen to me when he was 16 hamdul's parents sent him to london to attend community college where he studied computer programming and then 9/11 happened no one claimed responsibility for the attacks but senator oren hatch of utah said there was information linking them to osama bin laden's organization we will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbored them The attacks launched yet another invasion of Afghanistan from a global superpower. This time it was the United States of America. American planes bombed Afghanistan without let up today and into a fourth straight night. All this time Hamdullah continued to stay away from Afghanistan. He went to Brunel University in London. But after the Taliban was removed from power by the US-led invasion in 2001 and the country was once again in the throes of a social and political change, Hamdullah felt a pull to return home for good after graduating, especially after meeting Ashraf Ghani when he came to speak at his school. Ghani was an Afghan official at the time, working for the new president Hamid Karzai. That meeting inspired Hamdullah to consider how he might want to help his country in the future. I thought we are going to make this a better place we are going to end these conflicts Afghanistan will never have to go back to the days of the civil war or another invasion and we have America on our side Hamdullah and Ashraf Afghani stayed in touch after graduating Hamdullah moved back to Afghanistan and volunteered on Ghani's first run for president after Ghani won in 2014 he asked Hamdullah to become the ambassador to the US based in Washington DC He and his wife and kids lived there until 2018 when he was asked to become Ghani's national security advisor. He was 35 years old. 
you're in charge of all the security forces. You're right below President Ghani in terms of um, controlling the country and, 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 and making it a livable place. Can you describe you returned back in 2018 um, and what it was like, what your hopes were? I went to it, to it with a lot of excitement, but at the, at, the, at the same time with a lot of fear. I know I have been told I should not say that I was, but to be honest, uh, if you really care for any role or job, uh, there has to be fear in you to drive you uh, to do your best. And I did try. We succeeded in the beginning. We had a really good relationship with the um, commanding general in Kabul. And so we pushed back against the Taliban by late 2019. So in a year's time, we were taking districts back from the Taliban. 11 districts were taken back. And we were on the offensive until the uh, that strategy changed. Now, with an historic agreement between the United States and the Taliban that could bring peace to the region and ends America's longest fought war. This was a time of great frustration uh, for me. The U.S. promised to pull out all American troops, about 13,000 of them currently, and NATO troops over the next 14 months. We were sidelined from the negotiations, um, and so it gave the Taliban more legitimacy. In exchange, the Taliban has to make sure that, uh, that Afghanistan is never again a sanctuary for international terrorist groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda. I saw that the peace process, that as it was sold to us, was hurting our, our credibility. Um, the Afghan security forces' morale was being impacted. The hope was that the peace deal would be the first step toward the Afghan government and the Taliban reaching a power-sharing agreement. But that changed with the sudden announcement from President Biden. President Biden announced the end to the U.S. war in Afghanistan. It's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. In April 2021, Biden announced that the U.S. would pull out all U.S. troops by the fall, bringing the 20-year-long war to an end. The president said the U.S. would withdraw all forces by September 11th. The speech had a huge domino effect. It strengthened the Taliban's resolve, and they launched an all-out assault to take back the country by force. With the U.S. no longer engaged in the fight, it became a deadly, chaotic summer for Afghan security forces and civilians. The Taliban are expanding their offensive. Since the U.S. announced its withdrawal nine weeks ago, a senior Afghan official tells PBS NewsHour the Taliban have seized 40 districts all over the country. In total, the Taliban control more than 120 districts and are fighting over an additional 180 districts. So I want to kind of ask you to fast forward to the, the weeks leading up to the collapse of the country. I mean, I was in Kandahar um, with the Afghan commandos when the country was in collapse. We were trapped in Kandahar city, surrounded by the Taliban. We had to evacuate from Kandahar to Kabul. So I experienced myself firsthand. Could you tell me for, for yourself, uh, what was it like for you in those final days leading up to August 15th? The last few months in my role, it had become extremely difficult to perform. The situation had become very toxic um, and politicized. What people didn't understand was that there were multiple realities unfolding. There was the Americans withdrawing from Afghanistan. They didn't necessarily understood what dynamics were being played inside the Afghan government. 
And then inside the government, we also disagreed on information, but the president also had other sources of information. So everybody who spoke could be telling the truth, but he was only stating one part of the, the fact. And then nobody wanted to be the carrier or the bearer of bad news. Uh, obviously, others would judge you for uh, maybe not having the right morale and not being able to fight um, or having been scared. Uh, but the reality was, you know, th- things were not going so well. Hamdullah was also going through a crisis in his personal life. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child and having complications. So Hamdullah sent her to meet with doctors in Dubai. And I had to tell her to stay there because her presence in Kabul was only going to increase my concerns and my anxiety, not, uh, not help it. But obviously we spoke every night as much as um, I could. Our conversations were, um, were, were, were not pleasant. And she was very worried about how, what, how the situation was unfolding. I, quite frankly, did not think I would make it out of Afghanistan alive. So I had, um, I had to tell her things that, um, uh, that, that, that would give her closure, that she would know what to do with our kids and um, you know, what to tell them. And so our conversations were very emotional in those evenings. I was preparing for you know, the worst that could happen. Things were getting out of hand. In Afghanistan, the Taliban have seized control of five provincial capitals since Friday. By August 14th, 2021, the Taliban were literally at Kabul's doorstep. It was the beginning of the end. And then as I was walking back, I could see the faces of the security guards, the president's guards, standing outside his home, completely pale. I could see the fear in their eyes. And I, I told them not to worry. I, I tried to assure them that evening to say not to worry. We're working on a political deal. It will not come to it. But if it comes to it, your job is to protect the president and stay strong. Unfortunately, the situation was already escalating. Hamdullah would learn more later that evening. I, I had a, a little porch outside uh, in my residence, and I, I was sitting outside on my iPad, my phones with me, receiving information on different platforms on different times, people calling me. We had a, a group on Signal talking with the ministers and leaders uh, about what was happening. There was no sleep, even if there was, you know, out of Im- immense tiredness, one's eyes would close uh, and you pass out, but you were not really, not really asleep. As news f- came in throughout the night, um, provinces kept falling and Jalalabad fell that night. And it was just before 4 a.m. when I saw the picture of Taliban sitting in the provincial uh, governor's office that's when I realized now, now the Taliban are around. Could you take me back to what was going through your mind when you woke up that morning of August 15th? In the morning when I woke up, my wife had asked me to give some money to the staff. So I decided I'm going to do that um, in the morning before going to work. I gave them each an amount and then left home. 
I didn't think that that was going to be the last day. I just did it because I just didn't want to forget. But at around 11 o'clock, there were firings outside of the palace. That is when things changed. It created a panic that was unparalleled and with without full information of what it was, created such panic that People in the palace left, and then um, others in other ministries decided to make a run for it. So the, the mentality there was those firings had this assumption that the Taliban have entered the city. Even though those firings were not the Taliban, it was just bank security trying to push people out and scare them off. But it created that panic, and things changed from that point onwards. But officials in Afghanistan believe they still had some leverage. They decided to fly to Doha, the capital of Qatar, to meet with Taliban leaders and come up with a last-minute deal for a peaceful transition of power. I went home at around 11 o'clock after that firing, the shots happened, to uh, pick up a suit. I was in Afghan attire. uh, And if we were to go to Doha, I wanted to to have a suit with me. Uh, And that's when I noticed that all of our staff at home had also left. And the little bit of money that was left in the house to the Afghanis uh, uh, that I had, they had taken. I'm happy they did. They obviously didn't expect me to come back to the house either. I took my suit and uh, went to the office uh, and my passport, thinking we would go to Doha some point today or tomorrow. When we headed to the helicopter to go to the airport, that's when the, the head of his security came to me uh, and told me he can no longer protect the president. He said that the Taliban are seen all around Kabul. They are close to the, uh, the green zone. He told me that if we take the president to even to the airport, the risk is that he would be killed there. I had a historical context of what had happened to former leaders The previous president that was hanged by the Taliban, Dr. Najibullah, he left the palace, but as he was headed to the airport, he was stopped on the way. Eventually, he had to seek refuge at the UN headquarters in Kabul, and then uh, later dragged out of there by the Taliban and hanged. And so I knew the time was very limited and short, but all of us involved understood the context really well and had been in the thick of everything that was happening. And I told the head of the president's guard, I said, let's go, where is the president? I asked him and he checked on the radio. He said, he's still at home. So he said, well, let's go straight to his house. We just jumped into the first car that was there and went straight to the president's house. And we walk inside and we saw the president inside. And I told him, I said, Mr. President, it is time. That's after the break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On August 15th, 2021, the president of Afghanistan and his closest advisors decided that Rather than go to Qatar to try and negotiate with the Taliban, they would get in a helicopter and flee the country. And he said, well, let me go upstairs and grab a few things. My fear there was it has already gone into motion. Every second that we waste now is every second that we gave whoever may be wishing to prevent this from happening will, will be in motion. And I told him, no, it has already gotten into motion. Let's, let's go. We got in the car, no one else. It was just him, the driver that drove us there, the president's head of security, me and the president. We got in the car. As we went outside, a convoy was waiting for him. He said, tell the convoy to stay and wait here because we don't know who can be a threat at this point. Every additional person can be an element of threat. And so we left the convoy there and took the car straight to the helipad. The head of the security told me that I need to get out and get on the helicopter and instructed the pilots to start the rotors. I felt in a position of this huge weight on my shoulders as we got on the helicopters. The only person there that, that could make decisions and could be heard was me. So they were all looking at me. One of the, the, the things that I did immediately was this helicopter could be shot down. We could not make it up. So the first thing I did was wiped my iPod, iPad clear. If we are shot down, I thought I didn't want the Taliban to have all these things that are on my iPad. And then I asked the pilots, are we safe? And they said, the only thing that they fear is if the Americans intervene. They said, well, they can ground us and they can shoot us down as well. And so I asked them what their plan was. They said we, their plan was to fly low um, until we reached the Salang Pass to avoid a radar detection we needed to, to get past there. There was no other plan apart from get out of Afghanistan airspace. The pilot suggested the safest spot to land and avoid being shot down was Uzbekistan a country that borders the north of Afghanistan. But Hamdullah says the Uzbeks didn't even know they were coming. There were no visas, no advanced phone calls. Many of the people in the helicopter didn't even have their passports on them. As you're flying low over Afghanistan, you're, you're under the radar, so to speak. And um, you know, you're, you're looking out the window. What, do you, what are you seeing? Just watching the terrain. There is this, this thing about Afghanistan. It, it's barren. 
most of the territory you fly over it's barren the, the, the mountains have no you, you don't see trees or a lot of life around but it's so beautiful it's so beautiful and there is the smell in the soil when it rains you can smell it you can smell you know when it, it's it's dry soil and the dust turns into air I have not seen that anywhere. I have never felt that anywhere. They passed over Bagram Air Base, which was once the largest U.S. military base in the country, the epicenter of the 20-year-long war. Its prison held thousands of Taliban fighters. Just before boarding, Hamdul received word that it had been breached. Prisoners were being freed. The base was being overrun. And as we were on the helicopter, I could see from a distance uh, that the Bagram prison had uh, been uh, um, broken into as the smoke was coming out of the of the prison. And so I was looking down at this 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 land and thinking, we're not going to be come coming back here. But also thinking about the unfortunes this land has seen throughout history. And it's repeating another revolution. We're seeing it down there, but it seemed so peaceful. Like as we were flying over Mazar Sharif and I was flying over Samangan, it just seemed so peaceful. It didn't seem like there is a revolution happening. It didn't seem like tanks were being burning. We didn't see anything on the ground. Obviously, those places had fallen to the Taliban and not a lot of fighting took place but there were no signs of a revolution. And I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't, I still don't know what to make of it. After a few hours, they arrived in Uzbekistan. The Uzbeks agreed to charter them a flight to Abu Dhabi. My wife was in the UAE staying at a hotel, so I, they took me to, to her, and that was the first time I saw my wife. Since we left Kabul, our communication had been patchy. She couldn't be sure we are safe until she saw me in, in person. And it, it was a very emotional moment. In those last few months, I'd lost close to 20 pounds of weight in uh, the stress of the whole situation, and I looked very different. And the next few days and months were e extremely difficult. I have never, ever faced in my life a time as stressful, as confusing, and as sad as, as, as that. I questioned whether being dead would have been better because I didn't want, I didn't have to deal with this, this situation. And now feeling so helpless, thousands of people contacting and asking for help to be evacuated, people in financial distress asking for support. At the same time thinking, look, if had, had this happened two weeks later, we wouldn't even have this opportunity to have some of these people evacuated. 
they wouldn't, uh, at least thanking God that at least the Americans are now still there and can do this. And there is a, a small window of opportunity to evacuate people, but then seeing the chaos at the airport um, and the sheer uh, desperation of the Afghan people to try to get themselves to safety. Um, it's something and a memory that I would have to live with my life but I would not wish it on anyone. I wouldn't wish it on anyone else. As harrowing as Hamdullah's journey was, millions of Afghans weren't nearly as lucky. The Kabul airport is the only safe way out of Afghanistan and today there was nearly a run on it. You may remember seeing these videos in the days after the Taliban took over last year. Thousands of Afghans scrambling to escape amid chaos at Kabul's airport. Some even clung to planes before falling to their deaths. Gunfire rang out earlier as crowds raced to catch a flight at the airport. And this scene appears to be on the tarmac. CNN cannot independently verify it. But video shows masses of people scrambling up a gangplank to get on board a plane. Vice has been in touch with numerous people who try to leave. Did you try to leave Afghanistan? Yes, yes, I tried, I tried many times. I, I tried, I couldn't. But are still stuck in Afghanistan. Uh, we thought uh, maybe it's better to leave the country, but I could not find any place to go, anywhere to go. I did not take the risk to the airport. Including those who worked closely with the Americans over the years, but were left behind. Everything has changed. The job market is down. Even just by talking with us, they put their lives and their families' lives at risk. We've adjusted their voices here to protect their privacy. Changes in the life of uh, women are completely, completely sad and very, very hard. I have no future here. My family, I, we are just uh, trying to survive. They're just trying to survive. The continued suffering of these people has put Afghanistan's former leaders back in the spotlight, especially those like Hamdala, who were lucky enough to be able to escape. He's become a lightning rod for criticism within the Afghan diaspora. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to something that happened earlier this year. You were invited in May to speak at the Oxford Union, the Debating Society of Oxford University. A petition gathering over 10,000 signatures called for the event to be canceled. Your remarks were protested by some of the Oxford Afghanistan Society students. When I say Mohib, you say traitor. Mohib, traitor. Mohib, traitor. Mohib, traitor. When I say Mohib, you say corrupt. Um, Some called you a traitor, saying you should be held responsible for the collapse of Afghanistan um, and the ongoing humanitarian crisis in the country. I mean, you did express your understanding to those students. But what did that feel like to hear that criticism from those students at Oxford? It was very hurtful. Hurtful not because... People criticize, politicians get criticized all the time. Uh, and I think it's it's the best pastime for public to have to criticize uh, decisions that the politicians and you know, leaders make. It was hurtful because 
the people who were doing it, they were accusing me of things that they knew were not truthful. But the environment was so toxic that people believe in what they wanted to believe in. There were a lot of flaws that we all had in the government. There were things that were left from legacy and we tried to resolve them. Corruption issues and issues with nepotism. These are accusations the Afghan government has faced for years. Some officials accepted bribes or worked with corrupt warlords to trade off power, which led to violence and a severe lack of trust among Afghan civilians. That lack of trust was further fueled by reports that Afghan officials who escaped that day, including President Ghani and Hamdallah, snuck tens of millions of dollars in cash onto the helicopters. Ghani and Hamdallah denied this, and a U.S. inspector general who investigated the matter didn't find sufficient evidence to determine whether that was true, though they did find that a smaller amount, closer to half a million dollars in cash, was likely taken that day. That included $240,000 from the Afghanistan National Security Council's coffers. Hamdullah told us that he had been approved to take that money to help evacuate his staff, and that half of it was used to charter the flight from Uzbekistan to Abu Dhabi. He said the rest went to support those who escaped that day and their families back home. We made mistakes as well, but were those mistakes big enough to cause the collapse of the Republic, no. The incident that decided the fate of Afghanistan was the negotiations with the Taliban, direct negotiations with the Taliban and sidelining the Afghan government and then signing an agreement with the Taliban that completely disregarded the Afghan government. I wish, I wish the Afghan government was self-reliant and be able to make decisions strong enough that would decide its fate. But for a country that is so dependent uh, on all kinds of foreign support, including military support, that I don't know, to be honest, I don't know how to define sovereignty in that context. What is sovereignty? And if you are not sovereign, then where your responsibilities lie? I'm going to be contemplating for the rest of my life every decision I ever made, um, everything that we could have done. And as I have this past year, I don't know if I'll find the answers I'm looking for. But what I know is I didn't lead Afghanistan to collapse. I wish a better outcome was there in my life. And for Afghans to be able to come to a solution, we would have to really think about it in a more nuanced manner about what happened and what to do next and how to resolve these issues. We have relied on the international community to bring us the solutions. We can wait for another round of solutions proposed to us and for us to hate them, or we can take charge and do something about 
finding a path to stability in Afghanistan. And I want to be part of that latter group. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Special thanks to Ian Bell and Karishma Vyas. This episode was reported by Adam Desiderio and produced by Julia Nutter. Editing by Stephanie Karayuki. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Kazis and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Julia Nutter, and Janice Uboka. Our supervising producer is Ashley Peek. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Fran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Karayuki. For Vice Audio, Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is our senior production manager fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Dumras. If you like what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. 